holy honor of being at the bedside of those who are near death or in situations like surgery where they thought they might not survive. In those moments, the messages, the words they are saying are very powerful and meaningful. My dad's words were ones telling me how proud he was of me and that he was ready to go. And whether someone's last words are reassuring or heartfelt or instructions for the future, those last words almost always communicate a similar message. I love you more than you can ever know. On their deathbed, people tend to share a message of what is most important to them. Words that they know they want their family and friends to hear. And we want to lean into those last moments and hear those words that we're longing to hear from their hearts. A message we will always remember. Maybe a message for our hearts alone. Jesus' last words that He speaks as He is dying on the cross are those kinds of words. They are messages for each one of us from His heart of love on His deathbed. Traditionally, they are called the last seven words of Christ, even though they are really the last seven phrases in some way. I've never preached on them in our time here, and I thought this is the year to share them together. We need to hear them during this time of Lent, especially because Jesus calls us on this journey to Golgotha, the place of the skull, once again. Now, it it might seem that spending six weeks at the cross may seem very hard. And we have to admit that we would rather go from waving palm branches at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem to singing alleluias on Easter morning than sitting at the Last Supper and in the dark of Good Friday hearing and experiencing His last hours on earth. Not that fun. We would rather avoid the painful realities of the cross. But here's the thing, folks. It is from there that Jesus speaks about His deepest love for us. And that His full humanity draws us closest to Him. It's in those last breaths that His divine glory is revealed. It's like trying to run a marathon without training. It's like eating only dessert meal after meal, though that would be great, instead of the best seven-course meal that's well-balanced. And you get to taste everything and appreciate it. Now, in our devotional life as Good Shepherd at home, we're focusing in a different way on the places of the passion. And in your bags, you'll find all the things that you need to be able to do that. And the places of the passion are are Jerusalem and Bethany and Mount of Olives and Gethsemane and the courtyard and Pilate's Judgment Hall. But then we're going to come back to Golgotha every week in the sermons. And then we're going to use some things in your little bags that are in there. And don't pull all those things out yet because you don't need them all. And don't open up the egg yet because that's one of the weeks too. All the things that you're going to need and have different items to focus on 
during our time each week with the cards that you also find in there. Now Mark 8.34 tells us the journey that we are on. If any want to become my followers, let them. But they have to take up their cross and follow me. To follow him on the steps to his passion. There is a hymn that is played every time we gather at Brentwood for the ordination service for new pastors, usually we our annual conference. And we're all there lined up in our penguin suits, our robes of every style and our array of stoles of every kind of red. And then lift high the cross rings out from the sanctuary as we begin to persist in behind the bishop. And I can tell you it's a pretty powerful moment as hundreds of clergy gather from every place into one place from every one of our churches. And then we are singing the words that proclaim our mission once again that we commit to when we follow Jesus. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim till all the world adore His sacred name. Those Words that Jesus speaks are gathered from all four Gospels. All of them are not in any one of them. And only one is quoted in more than one Gospel. These are the guideposts for us to follow in following Him. And as we've seen before, each Gospel writer has something different to tell us from the last words of Jesus they shared with their community and with us seven good words the writers wanted us to hear. So tonight, it is one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We start with these words from Matthew and Mark as the first two Gospels. This is definitely a cry from the cross, but we usually see them as a cry of desperation and lost hope. But in reality, we have to look at the context and where they come from. In those words, we will discover not a cry of abandonment, but one of trust, reassurance, hope. But in reality, we have to look at the context and where they came from. Because in those words, they're so needed by us in these moments of feeling abandoned and that God's presence is not with us. And we need to hear the hope that Jesus actually has for us in those moments of our lives when we feel like that. Now, we are nearing the anniversary of the devastating tornadoes that struck Nashville and the areas surrounding it. Susan and I actually drove around East Nashville right before the, everything came to a standstill during the pandemic and we saw the places. We saw destruction like we'd never seen. House after house had been flattened or damaged beyond recognition. Street after street just felt abandoned, God forsaken. You ever been or seen places like that? Like 2nd Avenue after the bomb went off on Christmas Day. 
speechless. And when we first look at places like these, they can appear that God is not present and has abandoned them. And people can feel God forsaken too. My guess is that all of us have felt abandoned by God at one time in our life or another. That long, dark night of the soul, as early Christians called it. I know I've felt that. Times where I have wondered, why have I been abandoned? Where is God in all of this? Those feelings of being lost and alone and desolate and forgotten. In other words, just like Jesus felt on the cross when He was tortured and mocked and left to die on a cross in agony. Have you ever asked God, are you listening? Do you even care? Sometimes we are afraid of that kind of honesty with God because we fear that God will be offended like God didn't already know every part of our heart, everything that we're about in the first place. And maybe even worse than questioning it, believing what if it's true? What if God has abandoned me? What if God has forsaken us in our suffering? If you've ever felt God forsaken, I want you to know that you are not alone. We can take comfort in knowing that even Jesus, the Word made flesh and fully divine, felt forsaken by God in the darkest time of His earthly life. And He not only felt it, but He also spoke it. He cried out from the cross for all of us to hear. But did God abandon Jesus? Was he left alone in his suffering? These last words from the Gospel of Mark and Matthew are the darkest that we will encounter. But if we listen to them carefully, they will lead us to the true story of the crucifixion. Words of trust in God's deliverance during our darkest times like right now, as we're about to enter year two of the pandemic. Can you believe it? We thought it would be over by the summer. And then the fall. And now? And it has taken a million plus lives. It's disrupted our lives on every level and brought fear and anger and depression and anxiety and hopelessness and hunger and hardship into every one of our lives. It's understandable that many people would feel forsaken by God. It has happened at other times too, like during the Black Plague when one-third of the population was lost. September 11, 2001, when we thought everything was ending. Or during World War II when no one could imagine that millions of Jews and others would be exterminated. And even the people of Israel, their names literally mean struggles with God, felt at times that God had forsaken them in the desolate desert. They put all their raw emotions into their songs like we do today. In their case, it was the psalms, the songs of lament and sacrifice and praise. Songs they sang when surrounded by their enemies and their feelings of distress. Psalms like 142.4, There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for me. 
And in their experience of being exiled in Babylon, like Psalm 137, and in places like Psalm 42.3, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? Painful, honest songs to a God who knew their hearts. But in these songs, we see that they did not end with feelings of hopelessness. There is more to the Psalms than that. And what you may not know is Jesus is quoting one right in that moment as he hangs there in Golgotha. Golgotha was that forgotten, God-forsaken place of only suffering and death. After all, it means the skull. And every time a crucifixion happened, everybody was reminded of who was really in charge in the world. The Romans made sure of that. And in the midst of his pain and suffering and agony of this darkness, as he has done before time after time, Jesus turns where? He turns to prayer. His last words to us from the cross include a prayer from the place of pain he knew well. Psalm 22. And he even talks to God in his most heartfelt native language, Aramaic, which both Mark and Matthew translate for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In their Gospels, these are the only words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Did you know that? That's it. And while these are some of the most difficult words to hear, they can also be the most endearing to us because they, they reveal His humanity. It's important that even in this darkest moment of His life, Jesus doesn't deny God's existence. And actually, when we read them, we realize He doesn't even turn away from God who seems to abandon Him. Instead, He turns toward God and asks, if you are there, why have you not helped me? And by that point, with the way that the crucifixion works, it must have been increasingly harder for him to even speak these few words. If he had kept going on, we would have heard this, that sometimes we have all felt as well. It continues on, Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And maybe Jesus shares this sentiment as His way of letting us know that He understands completely what it means to be human. I mean, after all, He knows that His mission doesn't end on the cross. He already told His disciples that. He knows it only as a means to where His journey and ours needs to go. But maybe He quotes the psalmist because He wants us to know He truly understands our pain and our suffering down to the deepest level and even our questioning. And when life takes us to the deepest and darkest valley of despair, that if we listen to these words from the cross, He reminds us that He has already been everywhere we could be. In that same God-forsaken wilderness from the first 40 days of His ministry through His entire earthly life. And reminding us that because He has been there, that even though we might feel abandoned, 
We are never alone. Amen? The people of Israel struggled too. In my reading the Bible chronologically during this new year, I am right in the middle of Exodus where the Israelites are starting their journey into the wilderness. Earlier this week, I saw God put on the display of the ten plagues to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. I watched them cross the Red Sea, again led and protected by God. And still they want to go back when they see Pharaoh's chariots coming. And then when their feet are barely dried from the miracles of the parting waters, they get to the wilderness of the Sinai and they start complaining. Afraid of their world coming to an end, lost and alone, forsaken by God. Where would their food come from? What about water? Why has God abandoned us? And then they say this in Exodus 17:3, Is the Lord among us or not? What a statement. It's probably a question we have all asked at one time or another too. You remember early in the COVID crisis, which seems like a decade ago now, when we saw empty grocery store shelves, not like a snowstorm, and you couldn't find toilet paper to save your life? And for some reason, many became fearful there wouldn't be enough food or water or apparently Lysol or hand sanitizer or insert the blank. It is as if many people like the Israelites in the wilderness had no trust that God is among them. That God hears our cries or that God cares about what happens to us. They seem to think that they were on their own, lost and abandoned. But our faith tells us something different. Our faith tells us that we are never abandoned or alone. That while we have been given a brain to make wise decisions, we have never have to be afraid that we have been abandoned by the God who provides for our needs. Amen? That's the lesson I just read yesterday. The waterless wilderness, after giving them all the manna, the food they needed for each day, and Moses is following God's instructions and strikes the rock with his staff, and what happens? Enough water pours out for the Israelites to not be thirsty. God hears. God cares. God was among them the whole time. It's the same for us. God hears. God cares. God is among us. Say it home with me. God hears. God cares. God is among us. Say it again a little louder now. Talk to your television. God hears. God cares. God is among us. So even though that Jesus felt abandoned in his moment of humiliation in humanity, he knows in his heart of hearts that he's truly not alone. Even in his darkest day. And that those around him would have known Psalm 22 as well. They would have quoted it and sung it in the synagogues. Knew it so well, in fact, that when he stopped quoting it, they could finish the next lines for him. And they knew, and Jesus knew, something that we don't know so well, probably. And what is that? That this song does not end on a note of despair. If he had the strength to finish it, we would hear, and maybe some of the crowd did, hear this. 
In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus knew that God heard the cry of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt and freed them from delivering them from death. And he knows God hears their cries in the wilderness and deliver them from hunger and thirst. And Jesus doesn't have to quote the rest of the psalm because he knows that those who are listening understand it and why he's saying it in the first place. And he wants them to continue the song for themselves. Like verse 24 and verse 10. From birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And then finally we get to the end of the psalm where we meet the one that Jesus trusts more than life itself. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Before him shall bow all who go down to the what? The dust. And I shall live for Him. Jesus wants us to lean in and hear His last good words from the cross so that we can experience the same hope that He had in His heavenly Father who time after time heard the cries of the Israelites and offered comfort and delivered them. And as we listen to these good words, they also become our inspiration to follow His example, take up His cross, and care for those who feel abandoned or forgotten around us. You see, these words aren't just meant to reassure us but to help others around us. They are meant to challenge us, to remind us that here on earth, we are Jesus' hands and feet. And that we are called to reach out to those who feel hope is lost, who feel that God has forsaken them, and show them that they are not alone and have never been alone. And by walking with them, By helping to carry their burden, we have the opportunity to remind them how the psalm actually ends, not just its beginning. Not with abandonment, but with the hope of Easter. To let us deliver the good news to ourselves and others that God is here, that we are not, not forgotten, And that love has the final, last, good word. Always. And you can't ask for a better good word than that. Amen. So I invite you this evening to prepare our hearts in a moment. By listening to, Lord, I want to be a Christian. And what that actually means for each one of us. This is not an adjective. It's a verb. And how can we make it so in our lives? More during these next 40 days.
and making the sign of the cross on your forehead or on your hand in the appropriate time. The ashes will be placed on your forehead in the sign of a cross, a reminder that from dust you were made and to dust you will return. Or you can simply look at the image of the charcoal cross on your burlap bag if you don't feel comfortable putting the ashes on yourselves. And you can place your Ash Wednesday prayer cross somewhere to be able to pray. Now, if you've not been able to get your Lent bag, I hope there will be an opportunity before Sunday to do so if the weather lets up enough. There are some really great items in it for each week and the whole season to help us focus on following Jesus. If you aren't able to have have that yet, then you can use olive oil or vegetable oil and do the same thing. The ashes themselves are not required or even sacramentally the center of the service. The important part is the visible sign of repentance and acknowledgement of our human frailty as we seek to grow closer to Christ and our cross these next 40 days. So I invite you to have your ashes ready and to grab those and to come back and let's pray over them and ourselves right now. Almighty God, you created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence, that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right and wholesome spirits within us. Restore us to the joy of your salvation, for it is in you that we place our hope through Jesus Christ our Savior. And everybody said, Amen. So I invite you to have your ashes. And to receive this mark of forgiveness and discipleship. To enter into the journey which will lead you to healing and hope. And let's make, get ready to make the sign of, our, of the cross. Doesn't take much. On our foreheads, at the back of our hands with our ashes or our oil. And as we're doing that, I want you to hear these words together. Remember from dust you came and to dust you shall return. So, here we go. Remember, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return.
make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. That has always been true. Will always be true. In your life and in mine. So hear this benediction. God so loved God's world, the Son was sent to it, that healing and hope may be found. He is the light of the world, and in His name you have received the mark of discipleship. Lord, bless these people who have received this mark this evening. Heal and restore them. Help them to become true disciples, serving you all their days. So though the night is dark, the light of the world goes beyond you. God guides your steps and surrounds your life. Go in peace, ready to serve the one who has always loved you. Amen. And as we close this evening, we hear these words, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Always. Not too bad. Us, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your 